here we are, here we are you know, we're, we're trying everything under the book from making sure we're preparing properly, making sure we're stretching properly when it's all about mindset. I think as an adult, it's all about headspace and where you're at and being able to look at the situation in a mature and positive way. I think that is, that is really where it's at. And that's been something I've really tried to go after, especially the last six months or so. Try and really look at the world and be and embrace, and, you know, because like as, as I mentioned, you, you perceive it in such a different way. Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm here today with author Sean R. Bell. He's the author of the Grandfather Chronicles. Sean, how are you doing today? Very well, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm End of March good. already. I know it's going by fast. It's going quick. Yes, can't believe April first tomorrow. Don't know where uh, where the time's going. It seems these days. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's uh, you know before you know it, it's uh, you know spring and summer, and it's winter all over again, and it just the years roll by. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so true. I, I was I remember a wise person once said to me, "When you keep busy, and as you get older, uh, time goes faster." I don't know if it's kind of a mental thing, but I, I definitely can can relate to that right now. Yeah, I've thought about that. I think I wondered if it's because when you're younger, things are newer for you. So you're you're learning, you're discovering major life things. And maybe when you get older, you don't have as many things to you just still learn and grow, but not as you're not your your body and your mind aren't, um, I guess, maturing the way that they were before. Yeah, it's very that's uh, an, an interesting take, I think. You're right. I think we're always learning, but I think as youngsters, we're, we we take in the world around us in a very different way. I think as right. we get older, uh, our bodies kind of adjust to what's around us. As a kid, there's so much happening. When you get to it, not to say as you grow up things don't happen, but I think you perceive the world in a different way as an adult. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like when you get really good at a game, or whether it's sports, sure. or everything kind of slows down, and you see things differently. They're still the same speed, but for you, things are little things are clearer yeah you know i have to bring something up steve just because uh you, you, you touched on such a great point so the last time i had the honor of, of chatting with you and thank you again so much for, for having me back it's a it's a pleasure to be chatting with you but uh that podcast was so amazing last time it was so positive there was so much positivity that came out of that podcast with yourself and me and pl uh, and tl cockham was on that podcast as well that um, I actually have to go and play in a, a hockey game that night. And I've been having trouble getting into it, uh, as we mentioned, as an adult, because there's just so much going on and there's so much negativity around you. It's mm. very difficult to focus on something good. But coming out of your podcast, I ended up going out and playing one of the best games I can remember in years. So oh that that says a lot about how you, your, again, your, how you perceive the world and how positive if you allow yourself to feel good and feel positive and you're in that kind of positive mindset, I think you can accomplish anything. And and I really believe that was a, a true story. I, I couldn't stop talking about it for a week because it was the best, <laughs> the, the best hockey I've played in a long time. So I thank you for that. So that's great. Oh, wow. That's great to hear. And positivity is contagious. It's, uh, you know, you, it's true. you, know, you surround yourself yeah. with positive people and you'll become more positive too. And tough to find it in the world right now, right, Steve? Like it's it's very tough to kind of uh, to embrace it on a day by day basis because there's so much noise out there right now. So it's wonderful to be able to escape into 
a podcast like this, and we can we can talk about being positive, and then seeing the effects. Just my example I just shared there, seeing the effects of what it can do in the real world is, is simply amazing. Yeah, that's true. And someone like PL and TL, they're both so. I mean, they're they're so contagiously positive too. It's just you can help, but you oh, can and help and them. and yourself too, Steve. Don't don't take away from that. I think the, the three of you, the three of you, just it was such an unbelievable uh, a positive experience, and I haven't had something like that in a very long time so i wanted mm-hmm. to take a moment and just thank you for that because it definitely um carried over into into hot into and I, I bring it up because it carried over into hockey for me but i think people can take it and use it for a number of different scenarios just if you surround yourself with positive good people like yourself mm-hmm. and you're able to like you said and uh, as you said positivity is contagious and i think that's exactly what happened so uh, it's always a welcome pleasure to come on and talk with with, with you steve because uh mm-hmm. Uh, it's an experience that uh, I'm sure we, we both will never forget. Oh wow! Thank you for that. It means a lot. And uh, speaking of hockey, how long have you been? How long have you been playing? Oh, well, Steve, I was—I've actually been playing for a very long time. I've been a goalie since I was about 15 years old. So, uh, in the sport of hockey, goalies are always hard to find, and there's always too little of us and too many teams who need them. Uh, the, the pandemic uh, really played a, a ha- well for myself and for the few of us that. Um, have have excelled in the sport and uh, are are goaltenders that are sought after. Uh, being not being able to play for almost a year there during COVID uh, did uh, really affected us. Affected us in a way because when you're kids, you can bounce back. As an adult, getting older, um, our bodies uh, feeling you know in different ways that they didn't when we were kids. It was very difficult to get back into the sport because we've been out of it for so long and none of us had ever have a lay a layoff like that. So none of us were used to going back. And so it did take us some time to go back and kind of get back into the flow of things. And then the second lockdown happened and we got thrown back into another lockdown. So it's been a, it's been a very challenging two, two and a half years. And that's why, again, like I was just so unbelievably um, moved and astounded with, how a positive experience can just make you play better in the net. Like here we are, here we are, our, you know, we're, we're trying everything under the book from making sure we're preparing properly, making sure we're stretching properly when it's all about mindset. I think as an adult, it's all about headspace and where you're at and being able to look at the situation in a mature and positive way. I think that is, that is really where it's at. And that's been something I've really tried to go after, especially the last six months or so try and really look at the world and be, and embrace, and, you know, because like as, as I mentioned, you, you perceive it in such a different way. Um, mm-hmm. Playing hockey for 16 years, or I don't know, out of 16, so not lot, lot longer than 16, so over 20 years, I never had the 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 ability to look at it the way I do now. And I think that's that can turn into a positive thing. And I think uh, as you get older, it's important to surround yourself with with, with positive experiences because it can it can transcend into a lot of different areas. That's a good point. And, you know, I've, I've never played hockey, but whenever I watch hockey, I like watching hockey. And oh, I, always feel, I always feel bad for the goalie, even though it's, <laughs> it's a team sport. So what is that like? Is that is that a tough, tough position to play? Uh, you know, Steven, you're, I, you know, I, I grew up with a single mom. Uh, she's she's a big inspiration behind the, the Grandfather Chronicles book series. And my mom always <laughs> said the same thing. Goalies are always the first to be blamed. They're always the guy who it's always their fault. Uh, it's always... Uh, you know, they're always put, they're putting up, there's put in a spot that it's easy to fail. Mm-hmm. I think 
but the, the the first thing I'll say about being a goalie is you got to have a short memory because the odds are not against the, the sorry the odds are not in your favor uh, are definitely not in your favor uh, because the odds of players scoring on you are much higher than making saves. So you have to have a short memory. That's the first thing I learned as a young kid. You're going to give up goals. You're going to have bad games. It's how you come back from that. It's how you learn from that. And I think playing for as long as I've played, I've played in a number of different scenarios, good and bad. And you try and take something from that. And trying to add the, the maturity to it now, I think, allows you to see the game in a different way, especially when you're a kid. Uh, but it can definitely be nerve-wracking. I think it's more nerve-wracking, Steve, for family members or friends or girlfriends who are watching you. I think it's more nerve-wracking for them. When you do it as often as I've done it, um, yeah, you get nervous once in a while. But it's I love that opportunity of being able to possibly make that next big save or be a difference in a game uh, or single-handedly try and help your team if they're not having a great game. I love that. I, I just love that that challenge, that competition. And I find as a hockey goaltender, there's no challenge greater in any sport. People might compare it to a pitcher in baseball, Steve, because you're out there on your own. Uh, you're responsible for what happens in a game. You are as a pitcher. And as a goalie, you, you can be very responsible for what happens in a game. So I love it. I love that challenge. It hasn't changed over the years. Although I've gotten older and my body is starting to break down, I still really love doing it and that's important and like i said if you can if you can just stay positive and stay open uh to open to the fact that you may not play the game the same way you did 10 or 15 years ago but you play it in a way that still gives you enjoyment uh that's important too hmm. and how has that mindset helped you in your writing career oh what a great question um as a goaltender, I think you're you're going to have criticism. You're going to have people tell you you should do this. You're going to have people tell you, you know, you're going to have people tell you, why don't you try doing something this way? Why don't you try doing that? The goaltending world is a very, uh, a world that's, that's constantly criticized because I think goalies are put in positions, especially in the game today, where there's so much pressure on them on a day-by-day -day basis. Players are in such better shape now. Players are using such um, much, much more advanced technology in everything from their sticks to their gloves. So the game is much faster. So I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on goalies now. Uh, so for me, how, how it, it helped me with my writing is that um, you learn how to filter out the noise. You learn how to just go onto the rink and play hockey. Don't worry about what everyone's saying around you. Don't worry about what media is saying. Don't worry about what even players are saying you know what your job is when you've been playing for as long as i have you know if you've given up a bad goal you know if you've had a bad game you don't need someone telling you that but i would say being able to filter out the noise and focus on the task at hand is something that's really helped me with my writing being able to sit down for for long periods of time be able to go on goodreads or go on my social medias on a daily basis and not everyone's gonna like your work that's okay right but being able to take it in a take it in a, a you know in a manner that's not going to disrupt you for the rest of the day i could definitely relate that back to hockey so what a fantastic question it definitely uh, has helped me filter out the noise hmm. that must be yeah that's I, I can't imagine what it's like to to spend so much time on a book and then you release it and then you have to wait for mm -hmm. reactions. that's uh it must be, is that a nerve-wracking experience for your first book 
No question, Steve. Another great question. Uh, and it only now, probably after six to eight months after the book was released, are a lot of reviews and a lot of engagement coming in now. So mm -hmm. I was a bit kind of worried there for that stretch right after the book was released because not a lot was coming in with respect to reviews. And you want reviews. You want to hear how your, your work is being received in the writing world, right? But now what's happening is that on, on, you know, on a consistent basis now, reviews are coming in. People are engaging with me on social media. The social media numbers are going up at a steadier rate now than they were when we started. So it is nerve-wracking because... To use the hockey analogy, I've been playing hockey for 20 years. You kind of know what to expect in hockey. Mm -hmm. In the writing world, Steve, I'm relatively new. I have no idea what's coming. So it's kind of take each day at a time. Uh, you know, it's, it, each day is part of the journey. But it's nerve-wracking because I think there's so many talented people out there. There's yeah. so many people and so many writers who have so many different ideas. So to be able to be engaging and sharing my posts and sharing my content in that same community is 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 wonderful but it's nervous too because you open yourself up to that opinion that other people might have of you and it's important as a guy who's worked in media his almost his whole life it's very important to understand how people are perceiving your work i think that's mm -hmm. important and that's something that i'm constantly learning is how to be able to take the good take the bad and take what you don't need to really use the noise and filter that out how do you just how do you decide what's noise and what's not because it, it can be uh, if something's a critic it may be constructive criticism or, or a positive thing how do you just how do you filter that and kind of decide what what to pick out whether it's good or bad i'm a pretty positive guy by by nature steve right and i very much value everyone's opinion right and i have i, I have the utmost opinion utmost respect for anyone who offers a constructive piece of advice or an opinion on the book or what they think um where I get a little bit, where I where I tend to say, okay, you know what, um, I don't engage with every with anyone who all they do is take negative. Yeah. So if the entire thing is negative, or if I can just sense a real sort of nastiness to it, or if they're just sort of ripping it up because they want to rip it up, I won't engage with that because to me, Steve, there's no point in 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 going back and forth because they've already made up their mind. Mm -hmm. And you can you can tell, you can see nasty posts on Facebook, you, on social media. Uh, the world today, we were, I was talking with my mom, my mom, my mom about this this morning, how important social media is. It's very, it's, it's part of your everyday life, whether you're business or personal now. Right. And you can see nasty posts. You can see people who, who their prime objective is to just try and get a, a reaction out of you in yeah. a negative way. And one of the things I decided very early on when going through the marketing with with Reason Press, who is the self, because I self-publish with Reason Press, is that I'm not going to engage in anything that's cruel, negative, or just outright rude. I have the, if you want to talk about story and talk about advice and talk about ideas, great. I love a constructive conversation. I'm always learning. Uh, I'm taking writing courses now to get better as a writer. I have no problem with that, but I will not engage in people just tearing you down for no reason, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does make total sense. And how long have you how how long had you worked on the book on the secret of the sword? How long did you work on that? How long was that kind of uh, germinating in your mind? The ideas for it. Uh, so before, so believe it or not, we'll go back a bit of uh, go back a little bit here before COVID. So the COVID pandemic is, I hope, is coming to an end. We're kind of seeing the world go back to some sort of of normalcy now. Uh, before before the pandemic hit, I had the script written. 
So it was a manuscript that I wanted to pitch for the idea for a TV series. That was how it started. Okay. So I wrote it as a TV script uh, slash TV, uh, you know, series script uh, for television and streaming. Right. But a friend of mine who had had, who was working at CCV at the time said, Sean, if you can turn it into a book, people will recognize it and people will look at it with a, with, with a much more, um, professional eye because a lot of the great tv series and series that are out there all start as books so i decided to okay you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna work with um a few people that i know who have worked in the publishing industry and i slowly turned it into a rough manuscript that i could at least take to a publisher with a book and coming at coming up as a new author i knew that it was going to be very difficult to be rec- to get a traditional publishing house behind you or, mm-hmm. or or even an agent i tried that so i decided to go the self publishing route because self publishing is it's it's coming up now there's a lot of people authors have had a lot of success people have a, have had a lot of success with these self publishing companies because people today are more motivated than ever if you're a motivated, hardworking, task-oriented person, self-publishing will work well for you. If you can, if you can designate time to it, uh, you can do very well at it. I've had the pleasure of meeting such wonderful people on Twitter who are also self-published, who have done phenomenally, better than some traditional published authors. So there was definitely a market for that. So altogether, Steve, The Secret of the Sword was about five years in the making, three years to create the. Um, I'd say about a year and a half to two years to create that script that I w- that I wanted to use for television, which I still have. And then about another year to turn it into a, a manuscript for a book. And it was the best thing ever because the story just got so much better. The characters, the arcs, the turning points got better uh, when working um, with it as a book. And then spending the year and a half during the pandemic with, with Freezen Press, going through it, taking it from a, a rough manuscript to a professional product was an adventure and continues to be an adventure, but it was something that taught me just the importance of being patient and making sure that you get the very best piece of your work out there. Hmm. And what was, what was some of the, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned about writing during that year and a half? Uh, during the pen with Freezen Press, I mm-hmm. think the well, number one thing I would say is stay true to yourself. Um, the nice thing with self-publishing is they respect your ideas. They respect uh, the story you want to tell, but mm-hmm. stay true to yourself. Um, be honest, be genuine, be humble. You know, I have a sign on my desk here. that says, stay humble. Always remember that we all start from the ground and work our way up. So stay humble. So that was definitely something that I learned is that uh, make sure uh, you stay true to yourself. I also learned, Steve, be patient. But be patient too. Obviously, when you're when you're when you're working with a company, they're going to give you deadlines. Self publishing. I haven't worked with the traditional publishers, so I can't really uh, talk to that. But with respect to self publishing, there are deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, no company wants to take you on and sit forever in limbo. They want they want the product out there. They want their name on your book out there. So it's important to stay true to deadlines. That being said, the biggest lesson I learned with book one, I'm already applying it to book two, is be patient work on your timeline if you are not confident with the edit you have do not move forward tell them say i need more time if you have the opportunity to maybe especially with self-publishing buy a little bit more time at that certain step do it do not rush steps um i did that with one of the steps during with the secret of the sword and i will never do it again 
Steve, I will take more time with book two to make sure that it's the very best it can be. So don't let people rush you with it either. Be patient and take the time to make sure that each editing step is done to the very best of your ability. Hmm. That's good advice. And what is the uh, Grandfather Chronicles about? What's the, what's the story? So the Grandfather Chronicles, I always envisioned, uh, especially when I turned it into a book series. So we'll talk about, we won't really get into the manuscript for the TV. Uh, when I turned it into the book series, Steve, it was a very long story. Long, very, very long. So I decided that I always loved trilogies. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, so I decided to to break it up into three different books. Uh, and I would, and the goal was to introduce the, the background of the, uh, the Pendragon bloodline in book two and kind of carry that into book two and book three. The Grandfather Chronicles fantasy book series is primarily about a grandfather and a grandson who were very close at a young age. It's based um, loosely off my relationship with my grandfather growing up. So when I was a kid, the wonderful bond we shared was something that uh, left an impression with me that I'll never forget. And it was something magical, very personal, something that I kept very close to my heart. But I always had the idea of using that as kind of a backstory for uh, a fantasy, a fi something fantasy. I love fantasy. I think fantasy is such a great genre because it, there's so much you can talk about. You can create far off worlds. You can use characters. You can just, there's the, the sky is the limit for what you can do in fantasy. But I wanted to, to tie it to some sort of reality. I want not to be like Lord of the Rings. We know it's based off, you know, it's a, it's an, it's, it takes place uh, in this, in, in, in Middle Earth, this world that's made up. I wanted to take a fantasy story and combine it with a real life element that I could relate to. And there is nothing in this world that uh, left so much love and so much, uh, so much, um, so many memories than the relationship with my grandfather. So I took that relationship that was, those powerful moments that I shared with my grandfather turned it into a story and then took my favorite uh, fantasy, which is Arthurian legend. I love the whole idea of Excalibur. And I love the idea of one of the greatest villains in Arthurian legend who I feel hasn't, hadn't really had her due. And I really decided to work her into this, this story that, Yes, Arthurian legend has been told. Yes, we all know the story of Excalibur and the sword and the stone. But I turned it into this, this legacy of this grandson. His grandfather's legacy is to protect the secret, the dark secret that no one knew about Excalibur. So the book itself, the first book, is about family. It's about the grandson learning about his about this world he never knew about with his grandfather, being part of the secret society sworn to protect Excalibur, learning that there's a world that exists around us that we don't know about and using montreal which is where my grandfather lived and which where i spent so much time with him using montreal and using real life situations that happened with me and combining that with this this far off idea that my grandfather could be part of the secret society kind of created the idea for the secret of the sword and it's a story of i think a grandson discovering his roots and discovering the dark truth behind his his family bloodline and where it goes and book two just explores that even further um the plot lines become bigger using what he's learned in book one he carries this into book two and book two and book three are a sense a sense the same story so book one is a standalone book and introduces the characters uh it leaves the opportunity for book two and three but book two will 
will leave you on a cliffhanger for book three. So book two and three are connected. And I can, I'm happy to say, Steve, that I'm about halfway through writing book two right now. Oh, nice. Uh, would you have a, a timeline when you might want to, when you're kind of shooting for, for it to be ready? Uh, my goal, Steve, is Christmas this year. So my goal is to have it out by Christmas this year. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm spending every day now writing it. Uh, I learned so much with, with publishing book one and that I'm applying already the lessons I learned from book one into book two. Uh, so the goal is to have it out by Christmas time this year. So within the next few months, I'm hoping to get some promos out for book two. Book two is the book that I love the most of the trilogy because uh, it takes what's learned from book one and it combines it with this, this even bigger plot in book two. And I don't want to get too much into the plot right now, but it really tests uh, the fabric of reality in book two. That's where I'm mm. going. So you've got this grandson with this new discovered knowledge about his family bloodline and protecting this, the dark secret that's uh, attached to the sword Excalibur and finding out that his family's related to Arthur. And there's a, there's a, you know, their, their bloodlines have existed and throughout the ages and then taking that, that knowledge and going into book two, when they find that there's even a more darker, more sinister plot that threatens the very fabric of our reality. Um, I'm very, very, very excited to share that story with the world. Is it is it tough to know how the story where the story is going to go and and not be able to tell anyone? Is that is that tough on you to not want to yes. share? <laughs> for, for, you know, absolutely. It's, it's it's tough because I I catch myself sometimes where I'm talking to pe my, you know, people around me and I'm giving the I'm I'm starting to give away the ideas for book two because I'm so excited about it. Because yeah. when you're spending so much time uh, writing book two. I sometimes forget about what's happened in book one, the book that's out there, right? And because you're you're going back and forth with, you know, talking, uh, doing interviews or podcasts or, 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 or uh, articles on your first book, The Secret of the Sword, which is out there, and then you go back to working on book two. Yeah, it's difficult in the middle of an interview to not say, okay, well, right, but do you know that, you know, maybe this character might come back later kind of thing, right? Uh, you know, for people who have read the book, oh, I mean, the one the comment I'm getting so far is, and I love to hear it because I love writing villains as much, as much as I think protagonists and you have to have your hero, you got to have a great villain. I think that makes the story that much better because your villain should push your protagonist to be that much better. And that was the goal with mine was for, um, for people who haven't read my book, Morgana Pendragon is the villain. I spent so much time writing for, for book one. And she really pushes the grandson uh, to be the very best he can be. Uh, and I catch myself sometimes, uh, I don't want to get too much into it here, but people say, Sean, you should have kept her around for the second and third book. And I kind of go quiet. So that's, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to ask, <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone who's watching this probably can understand now, Oh, he's going to somehow work Morgana into book two or three. And that's all I'm going to say. But, uh, uh, she's my favorite. I really enjoyed writing Morgana. I love writing villains. I've loved villains since I was a kid. Uh, even when I used to watch Disney Disney movies with my mom, I always loved whether it was Jafar from Aladdin or Ursula from Little Mermaid, right? All the villains, or Scar from The Lion King. I always seemed to, to and I, it doesn't make me a dark person. I just, I'm, I'm was always just um, very interested in what makes them who they are. Are they born bad, or does something happen to them that's made them the way they are? So, uh, I was always, always, always wanting to write a great villain, and I'm so proud of how Morgana came out. Is it is it tough to not get attached to characters as you write them? If if their time has to come to an end for whatever reason, is that tough to 
to for uh, sure for sure the one thing i can definitely say about writing especially because there are a number of characters in the secret of the sword that are based on on real life people that i know <laughs> so uh again not to give away what happens in the secret of the sword if, if people haven't read it yet right but there are there are characters who who um who are eliminated in the first book right and it, it's funny because although morgana wasn't based off anybody and some of the other characters were yeah you still you get attached to them because they become part of your everyday life mm -hmm. and i'm sitting when i'm sitting here at my desk coming up with okay what do i want because i always design character profiles first before i put them into a book so i always have these character and their details in front of me so when i'm going through the chapters and designing what's going to happen with them because i was always taught character drives the plot your character will take the plot where it needs to go but you've got to have powerful characters to do that which is why i spend so much time researching and making sure that these characters really have an authentic look to them because you want your audience to feel something for them if something happens to them so for me to do that and create these wonderful characters for, for people to read about yeah I, I feel it for sure i feel that it's like i when i'm writing them because i'll honestly say Steve, there's probably a part of me in every character of my book right so yeah to, to, to answer your question it's definitely it's tough it's tough because you become attached to your characters they become your your reality you escape to that world and you're responsible for what happens to them so no question that you feel responsible for what they do for sure yeah yeah that must be tough that'd be that'd be tough for me to do that and <laughs> i did read that you're you're drawn to epic narratives uh yes. which which one is your what do you have a favorite Lord of the Rings, no question. Uh, there's a number of, of, of books that I love. Uh, I also love his Dark Materials. I think that's a, another great book, a uh, great book series, actually. Epic narratives. I love I love epic. I have always had this go big or go home kind of mentality. I love creating this because telling a story is great, but I, storytelling, having these little storytelling elements around it and making it epic, making it because you need to make your audience feel like there's something on the line for these characters, right? To relate to them, you have to make them feel like there's there's an incredible amount of loss that could happen if something doesn't work out. So epic narratives to me is just being able to create a world in where decisions that are made by characters can have horrible consequences if they haven't thought out. So that's why Lord of the Rings, for example, you've got this this incredible ring bearer who takes on the responsibility of destroying you know the most darkest object known in middle earth and he takes that 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 quest on his own shoulders and to see what it does to him especially in the books i love the movies but the books give you much more of a uh, an open kind of well a weight that he's carrying the movies did a good job with lord of the rings but when you when you read the books about Frodo and the, the weight he's carrying, uh, you feel for that character. You feel for the amount of darkness he's carrying. And Lord of the Rings definitely helped, um, definitely helped um, make me want to make my characters um, progress in a way that make people feel for them. Make because if you can't convince your audience that you don't have that your characters don't have something great to lose i don't think they can attach themselves to those characters characters have to be able to be as have this fundamental attachment to the readers if they don't 
they won't the, the, the impressions won't be lasting with them so that's something that i i strive to do is you want to try and create the best possible narratives for your characters that leave lasting impressions with your audience yeah that's some yeah it, how how tough is that to do how to how how do you know when you've achieved that when you've met that that goal with respect to to me as i mentioned i'm a relatively new author uh for me i get this kind of chilling sensation i know that might sound kind of but i'm going to be completely honest that's what that's what, that's what happens with me i remember when i wrote one of the chapters in the secret of the sword where you first kind of understand a little bit about morgana you first kind of understand a little bit about where she's coming from and who she is i literally had chills going down my spine as i wrote that chapter because i had this image in my head of what i wanted to create i knew what i wanted people to picture when they read this chapter so it was up to me to use as much detail as i can in a concise manner and make sure that i created that 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 image that i could see and making sure that the audience could see it Hmm. it's yes it's it's tough and for me, I get this kind of this chilling sensation when you're kind of like, wow, this is this is something I think that people are going to um, really respond to. But every author is different depending on what they're trying to do. And the one thing with me now, especially the one thing that was suggested to me, is I will send out chapters to a number of different people and have them read it before the book is even published to see what kind of reactions I'm getting from them. And I'll say to them, don't tell me. I won't tell you my reaction. Read it and then let's have a discussion and let's see what you think. And I'll take from and 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 those having those 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 remarks and having those people come back and 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 tell you what they think, kind of either makes you feel okay, I've accomplished this, or I haven't. But with me, Steve, I have a, I usually for 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 each chapter, I have a clear idea in my head of what I want people to to see, and when I've when I get to that point where I think okay, this this chapter is good, there's lots here. Then I'll send it out, have somebody read it and see what they say. And if I, you know, because you're going to get mixed results, but the most important thing you get back is that you get back something close to what you're hoping mm-hmm. you pictured. For me, though, I do get this kind of like this, this chilling sensation um, where that I do believe that, okay, I've taken this image from my mind and I've, I've translated it onto paper and I've told it in the best possible way so that people can see this, this incredible chapter that I'm trying to share with them. And when you're when you're building a world from the ground up, because you're building a world from scratch, how do you keep track of everything, of all the different plot lines and the locations and lore and everything else in the world? I'm a very organized guy, and I'm a guy who, like I'm. I know we're living in the world now. Everyone's on computers, and everyone's got documents. I'm a guy still that I have no. I can look in front on my desk here. I have books in front of me, notepads for for various things. I have a a book, for example, that deals with just my characters. So every character that I've created in the Grandfather Chronicles series or or in the world, right, the Grandfather Chronicles universe, I have character profiles right here. And Mm -hmm. I'm constantly adding to that because characters are adapting, characters are changing, characters are evolving depending on on where they're going in the story. So I'm always changing that. I've got notes here in front of me for each character. When I come up with an idea for a plot line, I also have another book that deals with plot lines. And I have, okay, this is what's going to happen in this plot line. And in that plot line, um, this is where I'll take cue cards. And I'll take cue cards for the different events that I want to happen. And I'll move them around depending on, okay, is this going to flow? How is this going to flow? I used to do it for for the entire 
when I was in media and I was doing a documentary or I was doing a short film, I would have cue cards for each event that I wanted to get across in the documentary and then kind of move them around. I found with the, with book one, The Secret of the Sword, I had cue cards for each chapter. So I'd come up with, okay, this is what I want to happen for the entire story. And I would write down, just write down rough notes of what I want to happen. Then I would take them and put them on a cue card. So each event would have its own cue card. And I would lay it out on, a, on the floor or on my desk and I'd say, okay, here are the events that I want to have in book one. And then what I would do is I would look at my characters and decide, okay, how are my characters going to interact with each event? But the nice thing, like I mentioned earlier, is when you've got your character profile in front of you, you've got your characters, you've got their different attributes, their, 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 their pros, their cons, their, you know, and, I, and I've broken my characters down to so much detail that I, it becomes for me now, and it's my system where I just take those characters now and decide, okay, this is what's going to happen in this chapter, and this is how it's going to affect these characters because I've got their personality and their traits in front of me. So I'm a guy that likes to write a lot. And I have books and cue cards for everything. So I keep track of everything in front of me. I'm not one of those guys that can sit down and just write and keep track of it all up here. I need to have it visually in front of me before I put it on paper. Wow. I'm, I'm like that too. I like to have the actual paper. <laughs> it's just the, you For know. sure. Because as plot lines, as things get more complicated and as stories evolve and as the, as the uh, story progresses, it's important to look back and, because I've done this, you forget what's happened and you want to make sure you're keeping track. And I'm a big guy. I like check marks. I'll check off when I think something has has gone full circle. Uh, and I like also, although in my grandfather Chronicles book, it's too late to do that. But when a plot line is closed, I'll cross it out. So I know that plot line is closed, but I like to keep track of everything that's happening. And I keep it all in front of me in notes and I'm very organized. And that's going to be the way I am. There are a lot of people I know who just can sit down and write have it all upstairs for me i need to see it on paper first for it to make sense to me when it makes sense to me i can write much better hmm. and i'm just looking at the at the list on the goodreads the the books are listed as young adult fantasy what mm -hmm. is young adult what what is that what does that term mean for you as an author young adult i think it's people who are embraced who are just becoming just stepping out of i would say best way to describe young adult you're kind of just embracing adulthood so you're not quite giving up being a kid yet but you're not quite becoming an adult yet so you're kind of in this transition period i call it where there's a period of time where you still have to get kind of your kid kinks out but there's the adult in you is starting to, to break through and i i wanted to appeal um to that audience because when I was 12, 14, 15, that's when I had the best memories with my grandfather. And so I wanted to kind of target people who might be having that relationship with their, with their grandparents or can understand a little bit about um, where the idea for this story is coming from. Young adults today, um, like I said, they're, they're looking for, entertainment they're looking for stories they're looking for ways to um take up their time uh, and i think the grandfather chronicles presents such a positive loving story that although the target is young adult because obviously kids it's not for kids but i know a lot of people that aren't young adults that have, re that have reached out to me um 
and said, Sean, I, I really love your book. I can't wait for book two. I can't wait to see where Ian goes. I can't wait. So although the target audience is young adults, Steve, what I was getting at is that I'm finding that today in the world today, there people are, if it's got a catchy cover, if it's got a catchy log line, if people like the, um, if people like the snaps on the back, it doesn't matter what age people get attached to it just based on ideas. And that's kind of what I wanted to do out of the gate. They always tell you, make sure you have a, a target audience and use that target audience in your marketing brand. And I have, I've definitely done that. I've targeted, like I said, that those, those, that transition, right. But there've been a number of other readers who have come in and said, I really enjoyed that book. And they've been older than that. So it's important. Yes. To have a target audience. And it's important to try and target people who uh, you want to relate to. And I wanted to relate to people that um, had wonderful experiences with their grandparents and can relate back to what it might be like because in book one I talk about I definitely share memories of and they're based on memories that I've had with my grandfather flashbacks to when I was 12 years old and I kind of want people who are 12 years old to be able to read those and say you know what I, I remember having something like that with my grandfather so I, I think that's one of the reasons why I chose that target was it therapeutic in a way to write to write those to relive those memories you know, it was, um, it, 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 to be completely honest, Steve, it was tough at first. I wasn't sure if I wanted to share those memories with the world. It was a big step because there becomes, there comes a time where your private life becomes public all of a sudden. This was a, this was an important uh, decision for me because these memories were, were so close to my heart. They were, they were things, they were memories that really helped define who I am today. He was the being raised by a single mom. And this was my mom's father, uh, my grandfather. Um, he was the primarily the, the male influence in my life at a young age and we lost him so young, but he left with me so many wonderful memories and so many wonderful lessons that I learned from him that yes, uh, it was very tough. I, I kept asking myself and I wrote about it in my blog. Uh, you know, was I ready to share these, these, these memories that were, were so close to my heart? Was I, was I ready to, to share those with the world? And after going back and forth, and as I continued to write the story, I knew I always had time to pull out, right? Until you go, until you have that final, that final step where you're published, right? You always have that time to say, you know what? I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I can do it. But as the story went on, and I'll use your word therapeutic, as the story went on, I found myself reliving these wonderful memories that I, that I treasured for so long. And combining that with such a great story, I decided that, you know what, I want to share this with the world. It's such a positive, it was such a positive experience for me. Uh, it was such a, a time in my life where uh, I lived in like this bubble with my grandfather. And I wanted to share that. I wanted to share that with the world because it would be a shame to experience such love in a relationship and not being able to share that and tell people just how rewarding it was. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's can be yeah it's good it's good to share those positive uh, moments and i'm sure that was like a big step to to like you said just kind of share with the world it's it's a lot it was a it was a big step and i was i was very fortunate i had wonderful people at freeze and press part of my freeze and press team and, and they were with me every step of the way and um, of course as they read this book they saw how much personal personal experience was 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 in there my editor who was wonderful, who I hope I get to work with again for book two. She said, Sean, your book seamlessly blends family, reality, and fantasy. Seamlessly mm -hmm. blends. And I love that word because that was my goal 
from day one, Steve, to seamlessly blend that, to kind of make both worlds part of one, right? When they really are both separate, but I really wanted to combine them into one. Uh, so I was very lucky. I had people who were compassionate with me, people that valued my opinions, people who said, Sean, you know, are you sure you want to share this? Are you, are you sure? And I, and I, it, it took a lot of reflection, but I finally decided, like I previously mentioned that it would be such a shame to, to not share such a positive experience. So I, 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 I did it and here we are. Wow. And uh, I was reading about your, your bio and your other hobbies include world history, ancient mythology, puzzles, mm -hmm. model building and gardening. And I wonder during the pandemic, did you do more gardening during the pandemic? Absolutely. So the, the one thing with, with myself, Steve, is I think like to think of myself as very eclectic by nature. Excuse me. I was very, I'm very interested in world, world, you know, world culture, world history, how we, how we you know how the world was shaped into what it is today and whether I'm doing, um, uh, you know, courses on the side, like I'll do, sometimes I'll do interest courses on uh, Greek mythology or Egypt, Egyptology. I was very lucky. I actually um, visited Egypt long. It's been a long time now, but I was there about 10, 10 years ago. So I was able to see Egypt, what it was like. Uh, I've always had a strong interest in Greek mythology. I've loved gardening, love model building. Um, I love just doing things, right? I would rather, I have such, uh, I have so many interests, right? So, like I said, very eclectic by nature. And all of that helps fuel my imagination, believe it or not, whether it's Greek mythology, Egyptology, gardening, model building. I think there's a piece of all the things that I love that helps inspire my imagination, keeps my imagination coming up with, with ideas, whether it's for this particular book series or another project I want to work on. I think being eclectic and being open to so many things that are interest-based or, you know, around you allows your imagination to thrive. And I think that's, that's, I can definitely say from my experience, that's what's helped me come up with uh, the storytelling elements, whether it was in my books or my documentaries or whatever I did with respect to telling a story or doing an interview, being open to what's happening in the world around you definitely helps um, feed your imagination. Oh, that's a good point. And I also read that you're a collector of movie and television memorabilia. <laughs> So oh favorite, your favorite pieces oh my goodness me um yeah so thank you for calling me a collector uh my mom would call me a uh i i can't think of the word to use but i think she would call me she refers to a lot of it as junk yeah. whereas i'm okay um or, or, or a hoarder thank you that was the word i was looking for sorry it's late in the day so my mom would say i'm a hoarder i would say i'm a collector so thank you for referring to me as a collector that that means a lot to me um Right. So I, again, I think because I have so many different interests, right. It, whether it's, I, there's so many movies I can mention so many, um, uh, so many different things that I, I take an interest in that if you look around my office and look around my room, you'll see that, okay, there's a, there's a lot in here and all of it to me has personal meaning. There's always, and people will come in here and say, Holy geez, like there's just so much in here. But, uh, to me, collecting and, and grabbing memorabilia from movies or uh, TV shows or things that have given you enjoyment or things that have helped your imagination or helped further you along um, or things that are a reflection of who you are as a person. It might be something you experienced as a kid, for example. Like, a, for example, 
I was a huge fan of He-Man, right? I grew up in the 80s. I loved the original He-Man, right? And now He-Man's come back out on Netflix, right? So, of course, I had to have some of the collectibles from He-Man. So, I'll give you an example. But, um, obviously, a big fan of Marvel and DC. So, I have a lot of statues and collectibles around here that resemble that. Um, and, again, it comes down to, believe it or not, Steve, uh, one of the most favorite things I have, you can't see it here, it's on my right-hand side here. It's a vintage collectible. There was only, I think, a thousand of them made in the world. And it's the it's about a, a one-third size scale statue of the Scarecrow from Arkham Knight, the video game Batman. And he was voiced by John Noble, who's one of my all-time favorite actors. I love John Noble. And especially as a villain, he's an incredible villain. And his voice as the Scarecrow is just so creepy i used to play that game late at night to try and scare myself right and so to give you an so to give you an example i have a statue of that scarecrow here and i got that because i'm such a fan of, if it wasn't john noble i don't know if i'd have it but i love john noble i look at the statue i think of john noble but it's just a freaky scary looking statue and it fuels my imagination with villains so that's to give you an example that's something like that's something major in here that i have right on my desk here because if i'm ever having a hard time coming up with uh, something from my villains, I'll just look up and remember that this is correct. Because I, I just think he did an incredible job in the game doing it. But that's kind of a reflection of what my memorabilia collection is about. There's stuff that's got, there's, there's meaning to it. And mm -hmm. all of it just keeps my imagination running at uh, a very high clip. So <laughs> yes, to me, to me, they're collectibles. To a lot of other people, it's junk. But look, we all have our particular thing. And as I look around here, uh, there's so many, so many things in here uh, that represent memories, represent uh, things that just uh, interest me and continue to interest me. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big collector of things. So oh, I really, great. Yeah, so I what's your favorite? So share with me. So now two collectors. So what are, what are some of your favorite pieces? Well, now I collect lots of books, but um, I also collect, I still buy CDs because I'm uh, you know, a kid from the 90s. Yep. Uh, so I still like that. I, and I collect, I don't know, all sorts of things. I, I even collect backpacks because I did a lot oh, of okay. a lot of business travel. So I got attached to, sure. uh, to those things. And I also had uh, headphones. I like different headphones okay. and equipment and stuff like that. So, yeah. It's amazing it, what we uh, we attach ourselves to, right? It and, is. It's really weird, yeah. I know. And people, like, see, and, and you know why you've kept those particular items i know why i've kept my particular these particular items right but to a stranger walking in right they, yeah. they don't they don't really understand that right but i look at i look at my office and i look at my collectibles and i'm sure you're probably in, think the same kind of way that these collectibles aren't for anybody else this is yeah. for me it's it's, yeah. it's it's this is my kind of oasis in here it's, it's I, I that's what i've tried to do create my oasis that keeps me smiling keeps me positive and keeps me being able to take each day at a time and enjoy each day and looking around at these wonderful collectibles that I've collected over the years here, whether it's um, like I've got swords, for example, right? I've got, uh, I have right, right beside me here on the wall here, I've got one of the authentic swords from Game of Thrones, Jon Snow's Longclaw, right? And the real one, the one here that took a lot to, because I'm in Canada, so it took a lot to get it into the country, but I did, and it's here. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just, I, if I really enjoy something, whether it's a, a TV series or if it's a movie or if it's a character, I'll usually get something to have forever for that character. For example, I love uh, the show Vikings. I loved Ragnar. I thought Ragnar was unbelievable. The guy who plays him, I, 
the name has escaped me, but um, Travis, anyway. Uh, oh, Tra thank you. Travis Moit or Travis Hoyt? Something like that. Yeah. I'll have to, yeah. yeah. But the character of Ragnar, I just love that character, right? Um, you know, yes, he's yes, he's violent, but he'll do anything for his family. So I think, of course, I have to go out and purchase a an axe from Vikings. So I've got that on the wall too. So um, there's just so many things in here that some of them are from places I've worked, places I've traveled, but a lot of it are vintage collectibles that have a have a place in my heart, and they all help further my imagination every day. It was uh, it's Travis Fimmel. Oh, Fimmel! So I was totally wrong. Yeah, well, you're close. Yeah, close, but no, no, it's okay. I wasn't. <laughs> it's been a while since I watched that show, but if you look behind me, you can't see it here, but uh, my my Ragnar axe is uh, on the wall behind me. But uh, yeah, uh, that's I guess that's a story for another day. I could take I could take the camera and walk around here, and people would be amazed of the amount of stuff that's in here. One, the amount of stuff, and two, how do you how do you cram it all in one little room? But uh, like I said, it's um, it, it's it's what makes me who I am. It's a part of who I am, actually. That's what matters. That makes you happy. That's right, and it does. Yeah, and uh, so I had just have a couple more questions for you. Sure, I like Steve. To, I like to ask every guest a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, do you have a favorite family recipe? Absolutely, my grandma. So my grandfather, my grandma, made this for years. It's been a Christmas tradition. Mm -hmm. um, her own, her homemade cherry cake cannot go wrong with that okay uh this cherry cake is something i look forward to christmas because i know the cherry cakes are coming and god bless my grandma and grandpa i know they're not with us anymore but my mom has been nice enough to carry on that recipe so she makes those every christmas and oh my goodness me i always joke i said if you're going to get it because she'll bake cherry cakes for, for for friends and family and i said if you're getting a cherry cake you better be worth it because those cherry cakes are are divine uh so I would probably be my favorite recipe for sure. There's lots of them because my grandma passed down a lot of recipes and my mom is a fantastic cook. And when I'm, when I get together with her for, 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 for meals, every meal is good. But uh, off the top of my head, I have to say my grandma's cherry cake. Mm. Nice. So the next question is if the zombie apocalypse happened today, <laughs> what would be your weapon of choice? Oh man. So as I just mentioned, I have a, I have a whole room of choices. So I, what would be my weapon of choice? I'm just going to have a quick look around. I think it would probably be my, my Game of Thrones long claw sword, just because I don't think it's as heavy as Ragnar's axe. I also have a Thorin Oakenshield sword from the Lord of the Rings, the, the prequels. Uh, but it's too heavy. I would take the Game of Thrones sword, I think, for sure. Long claw. Yeah, it's, you can't go wrong with that one, right? Can't go wrong. I pulled, it's right here beside me, so if I, I'm ready to go, right? And uh, like I said, I have my choice in here, but I definitely go with that just because I think it's a bit lighter. And I think I could use it a little bit more than some of the other heavier things that I have around here. Definitely the long claw sword for sure. And was there ever was there ever a hobby or thing you were excited to try, but when you tried it, you did not enjoy it? Oh, what a great question! Um, did not enjoy it. <laughs> I'd have to say skiing with my aunt. Okay, so look, if I was when I was a kid, I I, I wish when I was younger, uh, I grew up in a climate because I'm in Niagara, which is south of Toronto, and my mm. all my family is from Montreal. I wish I'd grown up as a kid in Montreal because winter sports are where it's at, and I would love to have been able to ski at a young age, right? But that's beside the point. So I was so excited to go skiing, and I thought, man, there's 
can't be that hard. Can't be this tough. And my aunt took me to Mount Tremblant. Um, and I'm like, I don't need lessons. I don't need this. You see people whizzing around you and you just want to do it, right? You just want to get up there and do it. And my aunt was, was, you know, she put me in this class in the morning with this guy. I remember JP was, was very good and this and that, but they work with you on these bunny hills. And I'm like, I can't remember how old I was at the time. Got to be in my teens, right? So I was young. I'm not, I'm not, I said to myself, I'm not going to spend my day at Mount Trumbull on a bunny hill, right? So I did the morning. And, you know, my aunt is, uh, my mom's sister. She's a fantastic skier. Like they, my mom and my my two aunts um, um, grew up in Montreal. So they had the opportunity to go on ski trips every weekend, right? So there, my mom too is a fantastic skier. But my aunt was like Black Diamond, good skiing, right? And Black Diamond is essentially you're skiing down ice. That's what it is, right? And I, and I remember going, and I said to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to wipe out, right? But see, in skiing, there's no shit's thing. In, like in hockey, if you wipe out, okay, there's different forms of wiping out, right? In skiing, there's only one kind of wipeout. It's a spectacular wipeout, right? Because if you go down, it's a, it's a spectacular mess, right? That's just the way it is, right? And I said to myself, well, you only live once. And I tried to go straight down the hill. And I had the, I had some of the most epic accidents on that ski trip that I came home that night, black and blue. And I said, yeah, I don't even know if this is, this is for me at that point in my life. And I didn't have a lot of patience. I didn't have a lot of, I wanted to just do it. Right. And skiing's the one thing like writing a book, as I mentioned earlier on, is that have patience, take the time to learn the skill properly. Uh, don't rush for anybody. And do <laughs> I rushed a little bit for that, Steve, and I paid for it dearly. And I, and uh, like I said, my brother always brings up, I'm sure we'll hear about it this weekend, his birthday bash, but uh, it was the most spectacular wipeouts I think people have ever seen. But <laughs> I kept on trying, but I don't know if I'll go back. <laughs> I wish I could ski. That's very, uh, and uh, something I like to ask all my guests, just so I can Absolutely. improve the process, is sure. if the roles were, were reversed and you were in my yeah. position, was there a question that you would have asked that I did not ask? You know what, Steve? I can honestly say, and I've uh, I've had the pleasure of being on a number of different podcasts, uh, and I'll come back to what I said when I first started when we first started recording today, is that whenever I come off camera with you, I feel good. I feel positive. It's not like we just um, you just sit there and it's just kind of like firing questions at me. It's it's a conversation. It's almost like we're having a beer at a bar, having a conversation. And I come away from the podcast and I have today, again, just feeling good and positive and, and happy about one, um, this unbelievable venture that I took on and being able to sit down and talk with you about it. So the short answer is no, I wouldn't. I think I, I love it. I think I, I love the experience sitting down and, and chatting with you. And like I said, it, 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 it allowed me to, to, to play some of that best hockey after that left podcast. So you're, you're definitely doing a lot of things very very well and you're taking because this lastly here this is a nerve-wracking process for a lot of people <laughs> authors trying to make a name for themselves authors trying to make a real run in a very competitive world there are so many wonderful authors out there there's so many wonderful uh, storytellers out there and you want to you want to enjoy and talk to them but at the end of the day you're, you are competing with them so it's nerve-wracking trying to make sure that you're story and your project is competing with some of the best projects out there but mm -hmm. the one thing i will say steve that you do very well is that you make it fun you make it just let's have a conversation about what's going on with you because mm -hmm. you don't ask although the difficult questions come up and the difficult answers come out 
I just get this, this feeling, this sense of authenticity that you have, where you just kind of, let's just talk and let's see what happens and what's come out. And if questions come up as we're talking, I'm going to ask them. And I can honestly say it's been a, re a rewarding, this is my, I'm, I'm honored. It's been my second time chatting with you and my inclinations were right from the first podcast. I just feel great talking with you. Oh, wow. Thank you. So, for I, the so, so there's the answer. I wouldn't change anything. So if, if the roles were reversed, I would feel that I think you've, 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 You've touched on so many wonderful things, things that other podcasters haven't asked, but hmm. I've really appreciated you asking some of the some of the the questions that don't necessarily pertain to the book, but pertain to who I am as an individual. And that's a very unique thing that I think right now you're one of the few who do that. And that's important. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned it's like having a beer, because that's kind of what I shoot for is just hanging out oh, and good. just so that's perfect yeah that's the best compliment so thank you for for the kind words i think you get the best out of people right mm. steve if you sit down and just hammer questions at them it gets it, it becomes just a q a yeah. right where um what i've loved about well that's why i love about yours is that it becomes such a it's an authentic conversation between two mm. people um you know, you're interested. I'm interested in getting to know you. You're interested in getting to know me. Yes, the story is, the book is why we're doing it. But discovering about the individual, discovering who they are, I think is, is, is great. And what I love too is that we've been able to go back and forth. Like I've learned about you too. It's not just one-sided. You've allowed me to kind of say, well, you know, what are you, you know, what, what are you into? What are you doing? And I think that's important too, because that makes for the best conversation. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Thank you. That's you made my day. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Steve. Oh, it's the truth. It's the truth. And I feel great. Like I feel so. That's why I was. I'm. I'm I always look. I, I really, 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 really look forward to coming on with you because I had such an unbelievable experience the first time with you. And it's just a. It's a relaxed kind of chill atmosphere. But we've covered some some great stuff. So, um, like I said, if I, I'm more than willing, if you have other things you want to ask, fire away. If, if other things you want to talk about, like I'm more than willing to, to get into it with you. It's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, I'd like to, you know, come back whenever uh, you let me know when you'd like to come back, and we'll we'll do it again. Oh, it's uh, it would be an absolute an absolute pleasure, Steve. I can't thank you enough for uh, for having me on, and just for uh, your genuine interest in not only my 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 book series and the story I'm trying to tell, but your interest in who I am, and that's important to me. And I'm, I'm so honored to be able to share it with you. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, I know you're busy. You have lots going on. Have books to write. So. Oh, always got stuff to do, Steve. But uh, like I said, can always take time to sit down and, and, and talk with a, uh, a classy, authentic individual like yourself. There's always time in the day to talk with someone like yourself. So um, I'd be honored to come back. And uh, But like I said, there's a lot of other people out there who I'm sure would love to get in the spot I'm in right now and talk with you. So, um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm always ready to come back and chat, Steve, any time. And I look forward to it because I really, I really um, think of it as I've met a, a great person here, and I'd like to continue that relationship. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much. I feel the same. So, thank you, thank you very much. And for anyone who wants to connect with you, who likes to find you, find more about your about your books and your work, and about you, where's the best place to to find you? You know, Steve, I, I always tell people the best place to start is www.thegrandfatherchronicles.com. That is the website for that. That will be the website for the entire book series. Right now, it's primarily focused on The Secret of the Sword, which is book one of the trilogy. But if you visit that website and uh, check out the different pages that are there, uh, there's various links to uh, the social media sites on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. 
um, and anywhere that the book is sold, uh, the website is your um, prime destination to start, and then you can choose what you want to do. But I always direct people there first, but that's the main hub of where everything's connected to. Cool. And I'll, I'll leave all those down below in the description, oh, either great. podcast or YouTube. Yeah. So that people can find you. Wonderful, so, Steve. So thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time and let's do it again soon. Steve, it's, uh, like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure and I, I can't wait to do it again. I'm, I'm honored and humbled and uh, just uh, thank you so much for the, for the, for the, for the screen time. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Steve.